the question is, do I want to continue on this academic track and become a, a professor, so get tenure and stay in that track, or do I want to do something different, or do I want to, you know, do more? Do I want to start my own company? What would that look like? So I'm really playing around with what am I really good at? You know, what are skills that I can transfer to people or really build a, build a life on? People always tell me that I you know, have all these skills, but I wonder how I can really put them into being a, a value to others. Hey everyone, welcome to the Power of Why podcast. This is an interview style show that talks to leaders who are purpose-driven. I started to notice a pattern amongst folks who are fulfilled and lived in alignment. They walk different, they know why they spend time doing their work, and they are fueled by impact. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 30 of the Power of Why podcast. My name is Naomi Haile, and today I'm sitting down with a very special guest. Her name is Dr. Naomi Maria, and we share the same first name, which is awesome. (laughs) Um, So I met Dr. Naomi Maria during one of Find Your Tribe's virtual sessions with Catalina. They both live in New York City, and, you know, Dr. Naomi Maria is really investing in herself and and her relationships. I loved how engaged she was during the session. She was completely honest and very vulnerable with a with a group of strangers to be quite frank. And her insights, her thoughtfulness, just the way that she approached the conversation fascinated me deeply, which is why I asked her to be a, a part of this a part of this show. Um so I want to lay down some context on Naomi's experience and then we can dive in. So Dr. Naomi Maria is an innovative and passionate immunologist with a broad background in biopharmaceutical sciences. Fascinated by the immune system in health and disease, she is using her analytical skills and creative insights to solve problems that she's really passionate about solving. Naomi loves training and teaching to transfer knowledge to others and is a strategic thinker and project manager. Uh, She's very much into investing in her personal and professional development, as you will come to learn. Uh, Naomi's academic training and research experience has provided her with a broad background in multiple biological disciplines, including molecular biology, pharmacology, immunology, and rheumatology. And I have no idea what these things mean, uh, (laughs) with specific training in uh, clinical autoimmunity. You did your BSc and Master's of Science in the Netherlands, and you are currently a postdoctoral research associate at the Feinstein Institute in New York City. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank and you for having me. Absolutely. And I'd really love for you to tell us about your origin story and how you grew up. So, hi, everybody. <laughs> um, so... I actually grew up on a small island in the Caribbean called Curacao or Curacao. Mm-hmm. Um, that is where the blue Curacao liquor comes from. Uh, that usually helps people know how to know <laughs> <laughs> the island. Um, it's a sister island of Aruba. So we're right next to Aruba. Uh, we used to be the Dutch Antilles, the L- Lesser and uh, Greater Antilles, which is also including St. Martin. And these islands are very interesting. So Curacao is off the coast of Venezuela, but it's a Dutch colony. So it was colonized by the Dutch uh, way back when. So we have Dutch nationality. We have a Dutch passport. We speak Dutch in school, but we also have our own language, which is called Papiamento. Mm -hmm. It's an official language. 
and it's its, it's origins been being traced back to <clears throat> like a Portuguese patois, maybe from from West Africa or Cape Verdea. Uh, it's a very interesting language. It sounds like Portuguese, but it has a lot of mixes of Spanish and, and some English words, even Dutch influences. Um, so I grew up very multilingual. Yeah. And as I, as I had mentioned to you before, English is my third language. So, um, and a little bit of Spanish because we're so close to uh, Latin America. And therefore, we're very influenced by various different um, cultures and people. So it's a very broad mix of of people and i myself am mixed so my mother is belgian mm-hmm. from europe she's white and used to have red hair <laughs> <laughs> yeah she now has beautiful white hair <laughs> and my dad is black caribbean so i grew up in a mixed uh, family half my family is white and lives in europe and the other half is black but what i loved about growing up in curacao is that um you know, it, everybody was, was very mixed. So you kind of grew up with every ethnicity. We had mm-hmm. we have a lot of, um, you know, people from all over Asia coming. We have people from a um, country called Suriname, where they also speak Dutch. And even that, that's similar to Trinidad, has um, Black, Asian, Indian influences. So growing up, it was very multicultural. And... Um, yeah, it's it's an island, so you don't even realize how how wonderful it is growing up. It's always warm. It's always summer. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of you know playing outside together. I have two brothers, so I was really a uh, tomboy growing up, playing around with them, Doing playing sports. Yes, yeah, sports. Yeah. All kinds of fighting games. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's just it's just beautiful growing up, being able to play outside, going to the beach on weekends. Just very simple but very, at the same time, also very privileged, I have to say, because my dad came from nothing, but made something of himself. So right. as kids, we were lucky. We were, you know, we had, we had, you know, we were well taken care of. But I think what I liked about growing up in Curacao is that you have all these different nuances <clears throat> and you don't really, at least maybe that was my upbringing, you don't really realize what materialism is. So I didn't care mm. for anything per se, like, you know, what I, what I, if I contrast it to living in America where a lot is about money. And I think that's part of what built my, my, my track, my career into wanting to help people and not necessarily caring about just the monetary, just making money. My dad, well, I, yeah, I think especially my dad is a big influence in, even if you have the money, don't flaunt it, but really his, I guess, his, you know, he really pushed us into, yes, caring what, what people think, but not in the sense of what you have, but more who you are. Mm, okay. Be that person that you want people to remember, basically. So, you know, be something that you yourself would be proud of. It's basically what he instilled in us. Right. And that everybody has their own definition of that. But I think that's really, if we're if we're going into the, you know, a little bit of the power of my why mm-hmm. I think is really what I, what I got from my upbringing is, you know, find out what will make you proud of yourself on a daily basis. And, and in that sense, of course, that trickles down to what, what, how people are proud of you, but more of what, you know, what prides you, but in a, in a deeper sense, not in a, in a material sense or money, you know, mm-hmm. value. 
if that makes sense. Uh, it absolutely makes sense, yeah. And so coming from, you know, a very rich culture and a caring, very relationship-oriented, because this is the way that, you know, I grew up too, even though I grew up here in Canada. Uh, my parents definitely brought a lot of those traditions and customs from Ethiopia. And, you know, mm -hmm. I'm curious what it was like because I know you didn't, you didn't stay, you didn't stay there. You moved over to the Netherlands and decided to go to school there. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering what that transition was like for you, and what were some of the things that you experienced moving. So again, I was lucky that my parents prepared us well. So because the islands are small, but we are a Dutch colony, we can easily go study in the Netherlands, and we even get um, subsidized. So we get the same government subsidized college tuition. So it's a very, very good way to basically level out education, which is totally different from the U.S. because it baffles me still every day when I talk to my students uh, here, how much they have to pay for one class mm. versus that's probably what I spent for my whole, like for a whole year. So, you know, that's beautiful about the education system in the Netherlands. It's very, you know, for all anybody is, you know, can access it. So, but my, what my parents did, and that maybe is also partly because they both studied in the Netherlands, because that's where they met, actually. Because um, my dad's a doctor, my mom's a nurse. And they knew that it was a culture shock, you know, going from a small Caribbean island to a very big, predominantly white country where everything was a lot different. I mean, in the Caribbean, everything's laid back, you know, People are, you know, if you're late, it's, it's okay. I mean, it's fine. Growing up, you know, yeah. If yeah. once you start working, you realize that that's not the case, even on the mm -hmm. island. But right. Growing up, you're a kid and everything's, you know, yeah. And everything is small, accessible. Your parents drive you everywhere. But here it's, you know, in the Netherlands, um, it was very independent and very much, you have to be on your own and figure life out. I think it's for, for anybody that moves away from home and goes to study, but it's, it's a bigger difference if you're moving ac across the world, basically. Right? Right. But my parents really prepared us. So we used to go on vacation at least every other year there, and they would show us, you know, different values. They would say, oh, this is how you take the train, because you don't have trains in a small island, you know, things like that. Um, so they really slowly prepared us for going. And they even when the time came, they went with us to try to find housing and connected us to all their friends that lived there. So we'd have some place to be or call or, you know, all those things. So again, I'm lucky because I know a lot of kids that have to move to the Netherlands and they just get put on a plane and, you know, good luck, mm -hmm. figure it out. And why but did you choose that program? When you did your BSc and your master's there, why did you choose those specific programs and what were you hoping? I know earlier in relation to your why, you were talking about how you've, you want to help people and serve people in that way. So what was your decision-making process around that? So that, again, was interesting because I've always been very artistic. So I honestly wanted to become an architect mm. when I was growing up. At least that's what I thought I wanted until I got into a very bad car accident. And I ended up in the hospital, and that's when the whole, you know, uh, healthcare system and everything kind of just hit me. I was in the emergency room getting stitched up because my legs were, you know, ripped open basically. Oh, wow. um, 
and just the adrenaline that I was feeling being there and seeing people running, trying to make sure that I was okay. It just, that's the first time that I thought, okay, this is something that I need to be a part of. And maybe it was just avoiding that because both my parents are in healthcare. And I feel like everybody growing up was saying, oh, you're going to be, you know, just like your parents. And I never want to be just like anybody else. That's never <laughs> what I want. So, <laughs> so I, I was really figuring out my own purpose and what I wanted to do. But being in that emergency room, I really switched up completely as to what I wanted. And then I realized why would I want to draw buildings and build more buildings in a world where we have enough buildings already? You know, why would I, what, what is that going to contribute? That's what I realized. I was like, do I really want to, and no, no offense to any architects out there. And I still <laughs> dream about being able to design a beautiful building because I think it always was a passion of mine. But I just, at that point, realized that I wasn't sure that was going to make me happy. I wasn't sure that was going to make me want to wake up in the morning and be like, oh, I'm going to, you know, work on this beautiful new building today. I, 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 at that point, I realized I wanted to do more for the world, so to say. And then honestly, I wanted to become an uh, MD, a doctor. But in the Netherlands, it's a lottery system. So I got lotted out. So biopharmaceutical sciences was kind of my plan B. And I have to be honest, I didn't even like it the first few years because it was very intense. It was hardcore chemistry, hardcore molecular genetics, uh, physics. It was very, very intense. And I'm, I'm very much... Um, I used to like math because I thought it was, you know, I like things that make sense. And I felt that the things that I was studying were just very, very intense and, and difficult. But I was mustering through and uh, to go through the lottery again the second year and I didn't get in again. At that point, I started talking to a lot of people and trying to figure out, you know, what would really make me happy and, and started shadowing a lot of scientists and to talking to people in healthcare, people that worked in big pharma, and also people that were studying medicine or, you know, there was one, I actually had a roommate that did both. She was studying medicine, but she was also going into science. And she was telling me that how much more interesting doing science was and how much more you got to the core of something. You really understood how a disease really originates and develops mm -hmm. versus just getting a list of symptoms so she was telling me based on what she knew for me and my curiosity and my analytical skills that she thought I was, you know, much more a person of science and that that would probably drive me much more. I think at, at that point I was, I, was, I was happy where I was going and I was really intrigued by, by, by the path I was taking. Like the research I was doing, I was working on, on breast cancer and that's actually how I came to New York during my master's. I came to New York to do an internship at Albert Einstein College okay. of Medicine. We were working on a breast cancer metastasis, and it, it all just fascinated me. And I was just so excited about it on a daily basis. So it just kept exciting me and, you know, and, you know intriguing me. So I just kept going. And so during that time when you were, you said you applied for the second time, lottery system didn't get through. Like, what did that exploration period look like for you? Because I know, for example, you know, when I talk to some of my peers, there are definitely periods during your career or when you're first finishing, you know, finishing school 
where you're like, okay, there's so many different options, so many things mm-hmm. to do with, for example, with a business degree. I'm curious, really, what was your process for reaching out to people? It seems like you took a very broad approach in the sciences and medicine and reached out to people there and sat with them. What did your questions look like? What were you looking for? And what was the work that you kind of did before on yourself to be prepared to inquire? Mm, I don't know if I really did any work. Maybe not not explicitly, maybe subconsciously. Mm-hmm. Because I think I'm, I am an, an overthinker. So I'm, I'm, on, I'm constantly thinking. So I'm prob- I was processing, you know, all the different things. Um, I don't know. I think I just had conversations with people. I think maybe, you know, how we met as well. Once I'm comfortable with the person that's in front of me and I feel like they're genuine, I can just really go in and, you know, be raw and honest and just ask whatever comes to mind and whatever I feel like they can, you know, provide me. And so your time in New York, you went during your master's. I'm assuming you went back, finished up your master's, and then yes. what state were you at when you were finishing school? Were you thinking, oh, maybe I can stay in Holland, maybe I can, you know, move to the U.S.? Were you ever considering going back home, or? Um, I was considering going back home, but if I wanted to go back home and do research in the way I wanted to, I had to go and get a PhD in immunology, because something that I'm still playing around with doing is becoming something that's called a medical immunologist. And I think there's not, not, not really a position like that here in the U.S. In the U.S., it's mainly uh, hematologists, so MDs, that fulfill that position. Um, but in the Netherlands and in, in Curaçao, there's something called a medical immunologist, and it's basically a immunology, so you're an immune system specialist. And this person usually heads uh, a lab that's closely related to the hospital. And, the, and you, you basically help all, all medical doctors in any immunology-related diagnoses and treatment or if they have a strange disease that's hard to diagnose. It's usually something that you know, a medical immunologist can come in and really help diagnose and treat properly. It's basically um, my ideal job I would say because it really you really are still a, a true scientist and you're doing research at the same time you're very closely related to the patient so patient treatment um, and that's really the reason that I went into doing my PhD in immunology and the immune system because but right now basically the immune system is the future because for any kind of cancer treatment now they're using immunotherapy and that's basically the best working drug out there for cancer right now. And the same goes for most other diseases because your immune system is basically as, as you know, the larger population knows it. They always say when you're sick, you say, Oh, I have a weak immune system. So your immune system is basically what's keeping you healthy. And if there's any form of disease or inflammation, it's all immune system related. So understanding the immune system, and that's what one of my mentors told me at the time, he told me you have to realize, and I think this is almost 10 years ago, maybe even longer, where he told me that the immune system is going to be the future of of medicine. Interesting. And and he was right, because it it really is. It just connects any and everything. It's basically throughout your body, because your immune system basically encompasses your whole 
blood circulation, but also all your, your lymphatic system, so your lymph nodes, your spleen. Anyway, I can go on <clears throat> into detail about that, but I think it's, it, it was very powerful advice that I got saying that, you know, going into understanding the immune system would really be the future of medicine. And, right, uh, and it would serve you well in terms yes. of growth development. Yes. At that point, were you writing down everything that, that you would potentially be interested in? You know, because I think even in terms of career development, having mentors that early um, on your journey is, is incredible. And I'm assuming you still talk to this mentor. Yes, yes, yes. I think he is still my biggest mentor in, in, in my career path. Yes. Right. In terms of folks who maybe are not sure about their path, and, you know, offline we kind of talked about how you are in an interesting place today of not really knowing what you want to pursue. And I'd love for you to share your thought process and how at this point you have been engaging with your mentor. Has it changed? I'm sure the relationship has evolved. For folks who, you know, might be in the same headspace as you, what would you, what are some of the things that you're navigating right now? So I think offline as well, we talked about, you were saying that even going to, you know, into finance and business school, how many mm -hmm. options there are. Right. <clears throat> well, being even in the healthcare space, there's unlimited amount of options. As an analytical person, there's options everywhere because I, I have people that I went to undergrad with that are now working top level in, in, in finance, in banks, because, or in any type of consulting. I have a friend who's an MD, PhD, and she works for McKinsey, and she still does you know, healthcare-related consulting, but in a, also in a larger space. I've always known that you know, I could potentially work in any space. But for me, it's really about what, where would I be passionate and curious? And for me, I, I think I have found out that it, it is in the healthcare space. But what I like about New York, per se, and I don't know if that's U.S. and, you know, Canada and, and, and so on. But I like that here you can really, really do whatever you want once you are a citizen. Because I'm still on a visa, so I can't do whatever I want, which is another struggle of being a non-American <laughs> but um <clears throat> once i would get a green card or a type of citizenship once i figure out what it is i want to do that the world is really open and i think when we think about you know your why i'm still trying to figure out my why but i feel like the 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 options are limitless so the possibilities are limitless so it's really about now me figuring out what am i good at and what makes me happy? What would I wake up for? What would I lose sleep over in terms of what would I give my sleep up for? Because I love sleeping. <laughs> um, so I'm, I, I don't know. I think I'm really in a very interesting space. It's also because, you know, <clears throat> I did my PhD, which was five years. And now I've been doing this postdoctoral research. So the question is, do I want to continue on this academic track and become a, a professor? So get tenure and stay in that track or do I want to do something different or do I want to you know do more do I want to start my own company what would that look like so I'm really playing around with what am I really good at you know what are skills that I can transfer to people or really build a build a life on people always tell me that I'm you know have all these skills but I wonder how I can really put them into being a, a value to others mm leveraging them to serve right yes 
What changed though? Because um, at the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned how, you know, the reason that you went into medicine was to help people. So I'm curious about the timing of things too. I know things shift and evolve and um, there are certain experiences that we get that get us to think about mm-hmm. maybe from a different perspective. But what do you feel internally has shifted, if it has at all? Right. I think, I think and, and this is, again, a conversation I had with the same mentor, is that he asked me if I still wanted to become, you know, continue to work towards becoming that medical immunologist because it's, it's a lo- larger track and it's still a specialty. So it's like a medical specialty that you have to get into. It's still a program. I feel like the medical field is, is endless. You're constantly you know, proving yourself and trying to fight to get to that next step and the next position. Mm-hmm. And in academia, I guess that's in a larger sense uh, for any field in academia. It's just, it's very tricky, the politics. And so he asked me if I still wanted it. And I, and I said mm-hmm. to him, I, I, I do want it. But um, he said to me that he thinks it's important to realize that not everything, because you, you might want something really badly, just like I wanted to go to med school, but it might not happen for you. And you need to have a plan B and C or other things that will make you just as happy because otherwise, if it doesn't happen for you when you want it or even the, year, the next year and the year after that because you have to apply and get in, what, what will, will your life look like then? Will you then suddenly be completely unhappy, not knowing what to do? So he told me just keep all your options, all your roads open and keep figuring out what it is that you think you want because it changes and it changes on a day-to-day basis. And it's just good to realize that there's multiple things that might make you happy and try to have multiple roads that you're working on at the same time, which for some people that I talk to sounds very unproductive because they say, well, you just need to have your goal and work towards that. Because if you have multiple goals, how are you gonna, you just have to realize that it doesn't always happen for you in the way you want it or the way you expect it. And a lot of people, if it doesn't happen, they completely crash. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, which one of those, maybe pick my top two or three and what I would need to do to get there, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And there's so many ways to approach this. But for one, I remember you mentioning the med school or the medicine path was clearly laid out for a number of years and you know that was the same feeling that I kind of had coming out of school it's like Mm -hmm. you knew exactly you had a curriculum you knew exactly what you had to do next I I really love to talk like spend a few moments to talk about reflection too even in the way that you talk you say I know naturally like I have these gifts or these strengths I'm very analytical like you've laid them out so you've done you've done it seems like you've done reflection and have, have worked on trying to understand yourself better and, and what areas would, would serve you most and where you could bring your, your skills and your full self, right? What are some of those challenges of being also a woman in this, in this field? I've always felt like I have to, had to extra prove myself because people always just think, oh, that she's probably just a pretty face, right? And however she got here, who knows? Or maybe she doesn't really know anything and she's just you know, smiling her way through whatever she's doing. So I think for me, that's, that's always been a struggle. But thankfully, again, uh, my dad really taught me how to kind of use that. So any, any kind of discrimination or um, assumptions that you are less or incapable, 
to kind of use that and just prove people wrong, kind of use that energy and, you know, fuel off that energy and just get satisfaction and saying, no, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm not going to have this discussion with you. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to do what I'm good at and do my utmost best and you'll see. And that's how you kind of build rapport and respect. So basically in my field now, a lot of people know me and respect me, but I feel like it's a constant, you know, you're constantly proving yourself and you kind of have to figure out how to enjoy that, I think, and fuel off of it and really enjoy the moment where people really look at you and like, wow, you, you're actually capable and smart and even more than I ever would have imagined. And I think that's a struggle because at some point you're, you're tired. You just want people to meet you and think, wow, okay, she, you know, she's capable, talented, smart, knows what she's doing. So I feel as a woman, it is a struggle. It's a struggle to constantly have to prove that you have more to offer than just a pretty face. And, um, and I th- that, that feeling of being underestimated before mm-hmm. you even walk into a room yes. is, is something to navigate for sure. Mm-hmm. And basically what you mentioned of flipping that on its head and using that, I kind of, I kind of like being underestimated sometimes too. Right. Um, because I think it gets people to mm-hmm. really question um, their, their biases around certain people too. Yeah and get them to think a little bit bigger or open their eyes a little bit more around um, what's possible no matter who you are. Right. Mm-hmm. And that everyone has, like, if you're here, you're here for a reason and um, you can learn, you can learn from everyone. So yes, I, I totally, totally understand where you're coming from. That's very well said. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I do, I, like you said, I do enjoy being underestimated, but sometimes I think it's exhausting, especially in a, it can in, be, yeah. Yes, yes. But especially in more in a non-work setting, because in a work setting now, in, sp- in particular rooms where, you know, I find myself in, you're not going to be in that room if you're not capable. So it's a little less of a struggle now in that sense. But I, I think it's so sad that there's so many assumptions around what women that look a certain way, for example, are capable of. I really hope, and that's something that I kind of feel passionate about, not kind of, I, I feel yeah. passionate about, yeah. Yes, for for young girls to really, I'm getting emotional, for young girls to know that there's more out there, not if you have a pretty face, that that's all you have. I want everybody to kind of find their purpose and find their why and not just think that that's the only thing that you're good at or the only thing you have is a, is a pretty face. And I think that's why um, having role models in whatever industry, especially in, in the you know in the medical space, in in finance, in law, to really re- exceed, and I think that's why even representation is important because mm-hmm. if you don't have positive examples of people who are in high ranking or in decision making circles, mm-hmm. oftentimes you can't see what's possible for people who look like you. Mm-hmm. And so you know whether you know it or not, there are a lot of women and young girls that look up to you and I think even for me like wearing my traditional um, Ethiopian hairstyle I didn't at the beginning when I started doing it mm-hmm. um, I didn't realize the the impact and and what I would hear from from young girls especially young black girls mm-hmm. I had one person come up to me um, in the mall yesterday and she's like you're Naomi and I'm like yes and we've met once but she she saw the way that I was really 
um, representing my culture online and and whatever platform to showcase that you like your potential essentially the reason why she resonated was because she saw herself in me right and so as you continue to to develop and in your personal and professional life that there are people watching and there are people that are inspired i'm inspired by the work that you're doing thank you Um, and i'm curious during that uh, virtual session i think the part of the reason why the conversation resonated with people catalina's conversation Mm -hmm. it was around like crafting your story and really positioning your value and what you bring to the table right to to build and create your dream career right Um, i was wondering what what were you looking for in that session and like around clarity on on your story i honestly jumped <clears throat> jumped on it last minute because i somebody mentioned that i should check out you know find your tribe when i kind of when i looked at what the you know, catalina's call was going to be about i figured that that was actually exactly the point where i'm at where i'm really trying to figure out what my value is but i what i really liked about that call is realizing how i'm I'm not alone Mm. in all these struggles and all these not, I I don't want to say insecurities, but just, you know, all these little questions we have and things that we're unsure about, but I just felt very at home and very much part of a community that understood exactly what I was going through as well. And I, I found it amazing that I could give advice to some of the, women on the call because it's things that I had already gone through Mm -hmm. and then that's when you realize that these things are it's it's so important to have these kinds of groups of you know women that can can share advice because we've all we're all going through things and we're in different stages so one person already went through it or multiple people have gone through it and they can tell you what worked for them what didn't work for them and maybe somebody else is going through something or went through something that I'm going through right now. So I feel like instead of always trying to figure out all these struggles on your own, just being on this call made me realize, you know, everybody's going through things like these and going through what we've all been going through can actually help others not struggle as much as we did. And it was just very fulfilling. And I felt almost blessed to be able to help this, the one, this one girl, I don't remember who it was trying to figure out what she was struggling with at that moment. Right. Yeah, I remember. And before we delve into the to the last question, um, I want to thank you for just being honest with, with where you are currently on your journey because it really resonates with me mm-hmm. and, and I know for sure uh, with a lot of my peers today. And it doesn't have to be like a solid answer, but if you were to describe, you know, your why today, what you're going through, you're right. Like there are challenges that come your way. There may be certain fears that you have around, you know, which alternative or which path you decide to choose. But when things aren't going well and you're, you're tired and you're on the brink of maybe giving up on, on that mission or whatever your passion is, what is the reason today that you keep going? And I want you to be specific, whether it's a specific experience that you had as a child or when you were in school, but what's, what's the, the thing that you, maybe a thought or a moment or a memory that you link back to, to keep you pushing? Mm, I think there's multiple moments that kind of help keep me going. I want to say my grandmother is one. Uh, she passed away and 
she was always telling me that she was living through me because she didn't get to go to school. Mm. She's a very smart woman. But at that time, you know, when she was young, um, she lived in Belgium. So she was um, in the war. And, and after that, she just worked in her mother's shop. Um, she, there was no money to go to school. And I think at that time, also a lot of women did not um, get the opportunity to, to go to school at all. I think about her and think about, you know, I hear her voice telling me how she's just living through me because mm. she didn't get to do all the things that I'm doing. And I think that's one thing that really drives me. And I think another thing is just that I, I've always, since I was a little kid, have been somebody that wants to save the world, help others, because that kind of just makes me happy. I want to I want to make sure other people are good and and that's maybe also a little bit of my curse because I often forget to make sure I'm good. Mm. Mhm. Mhm. And um I think that's something that I'm currently working on now is really you know on a day-to-day yes trying to save lives out there. Yes. But and also, do important research. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Because honestly one of the things that's driving me is that we we made like a uh, kind of a surprise discovery that you know might help a lot of women that are at risk for adverse pregnancies for losing their baby have placental uh, difficulties so um the, the project i'm working on right now seems to really might really change the game for women and yeah. the stage that the stage that i'm in in wanting a family just really you know that kind of comes full circle for me I've always been worried that I couldn't have kids or that I'd have a lot of trouble having kids. And that's something that's also not talked about how many women have, you know, struggle with getting pregnant and how many miscarriages and all the things around that conversation is, is so not talked about, but it's, it's a big reality. If you look at the statistics of how many women have miscarriages or can't even have kids. And it's funny because people always tell me, oh, you're young, you have all the time in the world. And then I think, yeah, but you don't know the statistics. You don't know how, how many women can't have kids or spend five years trying to get pregnant and have six miscarriages, you know? So for me right now, I think that's really driving me full circle from a personal standpoint and my research. And I really hope that my current research can help identify women at risk for adverse pregnancy outcomes that, you know, we might need to struggle less in this, you know, in this capacity in the future Mm. and not have to go through the struggles of losing a child before birth or at birth or having complications once they're born. Because I think that's just, yeah, that for me right now is really driving me on, on my bad days. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's very important to have those, you know, those very real and, and, and poignant things that remind you why you're doing what you're doing um, especially when it gets tough and so it's nice to hear um, what you said about your grandmother because it's very powerful very very powerful and also around using your skills to make other people's lives better so thank you for sharing your experiences and thank you for you know sharing where you are right now where you are today and i wish you nothing but the best on your journey Dr. Naomi Maria, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me.